Welcome to Bookcaster, a talk show for all crypto bulls. Tune in to a live discussion at 4 p.m. UTC on Friday. Hi everyone, welcome to Bullcaster, a talk show for all crypto bulls. Here we are to discuss the most exciting industry topics with the best industry experts, influencers, and marketable personalities. I'm Constantine Kogan, co-founder of Bullperks. We're excited to welcome our guest today, Mead Temujin Lui, as Director of Marketing One Chain. Uh, hi, Temujin. Hi, Constantine. Uh, nice, to, nice to be here. Thanks for the invite. I'm looking forward to it. Likewise, thank you for being here. And you know, before we jump into the topic, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you get to crypto? And maybe a few words about uh, one chain. Sure. Um, hopefully, I won't go totally off track. Uh, but uh, my my journey started uh, several years ago when I was a grad student at the London School of Economics in London. So around, probably around 2012, 2013. And uh, at the time, I was slightly obsessed with. Um, this uh, book called The Three Dimensions of Power by uh, Stephen Lukes. And it was really just about, you know, different ways you could think about power. And I was thinking about how I wanted to write my thesis on this topic, but I didn't really have thing to bind it all together. Um, and I remember really clearly, like I was out jogging one day and listening to this silly podcast and they just kind of mentioned Bitcoin in passing. And in hindsight, everything they said was totally wrong, <laughs> but just kind of having the word just spark something in me. I had this epiphany, you know, Bitcoin really had the power to impact all the incumbent power structures of society. And I was basically hooked. <laughs> and then, um, you know, from there, graduated, went to China for about 10 years. And I was in China during the ICO boom. And I'm sure, as you recall, you know, a lot of those ICOs were, were Asia based. So I kind of got pulled into blockchain full time around that time and have been in blockchain ever since. I've worked for like a few, um, few different blockchain companies. Kind of from different angles, so I feel like I have a pretty good perspective. Um, I have the like the true startups. I've also worked with um, some more traditional firms, you know, who are more like playing <laughs> blockchain. Uh, and then now I've landed at Wanchain, which is where I am now. Um, very happy there. It's a great project. Uh, what we're really focused on at Wanchain is blockchain interoperability. Uh, so I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot today. Yeah. So actually, the, my first question would be to you: like, <laughs> what is the blockchain interoperability? Like, you know, why is it crucial, and how you know you at one chain are solving this challenge? Sure. You know, that's actually <clears throat> maybe a more interesting question than you intended because you say like interoperability is crucial, but I would almost go one step further than that. I think it's almost escapable if we are going to have any type of real blockchain adoption. You know, interoperability has to be part of it. I like to think a bit like right now it's we're in 2023's version of like local area networks before the internet. Whereas until that happened, you know, you didn't really have much. Um, you could do a few cool experiments, um, but you didn't have the world changing impacts until the internet came along. And that's kind of what we're trying to unlock with interoperability. Um, but it's a super complicated topic, as I'm sure you can imagine, you know, blockchains themselves have all sorts of different layers. And there's even more and more layers as you try to make them interoperable things like the blockchain itself, consensus, oracles, I'm not going to name them all, <laughs> but there's a, a huge number. And so I guess, you know, it's not a big surprise that there's like a ton of work to do still. Um, but some of the listeners, some of the watchers, um, you know, they might be surprised, maybe slightly depressed uh, to hear just how early we are as an industry in terms of reaching blockchain interoperability. You know, I think from OneChain's point of view, we really kind of approach the problem um, methodically. Um, so we kind of start with just 
some, some R&D and really try to have a conceptual framework of what is interoperability. And then we can, you know, focus in on the technical and security challenges, how to solve them, how that informs our design, and then actually build the protocols. Um, and I think as an industry as a whole, at least now, I think we can all pretty much agree on the definition of blockchain interoperability. Um, and so it's really kind of the ability to transfer assets from one chain to another, the ability to send messages um, from one chain to another, and sometimes receive messages back. And then also ultimately just be able to kind of trigger a reaction on one blockchain from another blockchain, all in a decentralized way. Mm-hmm. So that's what we mean by blockchain interoperability. But uh, that's okay. about as far as the industry has gotten, you know, like even things as uh, identifying the, the different challenges. We're all still kind of fighting over that. You know, I'm sure you've seen in the news, the cross chain versus multi chain and these type of debates or all the bridge hacks and you know, people questioning whether cross-chain bridges themselves are inherently insecure and whether, you know, that what type of problem is that really? And so that's kind of where we are um, still debating the the security and technical challenges to really get these blockchains to speak to one another. Um, so, you know, for one so, chain. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. So jump you, in. Sorry, you, you unpacked a lot. So let's let's pause for a second, because I'm afraid yeah. that we're going to lose some of the people because I know that you can get very technical about this topic and very passionate, but at the same time, I wanted to decrypt a few things for people, right? Yes. When you're saying interoperability, we have already multiple chains. We're talking about layer one, you know, the solutions that are infrastructure, the backbone of the industry, right? And we have several very practical problems right now. So if you have assets like on one chain and not on the other, like, even to port one type of asset to another chain, if you really want to, whether it's an NFT or coin or any other application that we can talk about, it's already a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. So the second level challenge is how to make it securely and, you know, safely so that to make sure that, you know, you're not going to be hacked on the way, right? So that's where you are, you help to build bridges. So let's, let's make it like, you know, like digestible for a five-year-old person, like, you know, so, <laughs> so, kid. so what are the actual challenges? And let's talk about real life use cases, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so where do you see those applications will be applied and will actually change the world for good? Sure. Um, so I think, as you said, right now, we can pretty much port um, one token or a coin from one chain uh, to another. That part is actually pretty secure um, right now if if you're using, you know, the, the, the good quality bridges. Obviously, there's there's always crap out there. But if you're using the ones that do it well, we know at least as an industry how to do it. Um, the stuff I was talking about previously, it's really kind of to move away from from tokens and coins uh, and really um, just kind of other types of data that, that we want these, these networks to be able to basically, you know, you'll, you want to be able to use the data from all the chains, no matter, no matter where you happen to, to exist. Um, for example, for example, like you said, NFTs, it could also just be things like um, really kind of any type uh, any type of data. It could be um, pricing information, things that like oracles uh, do and things like that. But we might get a little too technical. So I'll, let's just roll it back slightly and go back to kind of the use cases you're talking about. So I think the first kind of next use cases that we're going to see that interoperability can, can unlock these so-called real world use cases. You know, we're going to see some cross-chain DEXs, real cross-chain DEXs, I mean, uh, and real lending platforms. That's kind of like the next logical step right now everyone i think watching here has probably used the decks 
Um, they might think they've used a cross-chain DEX, but often that just means that this one DEX, you know, just launched on multiple chains with the same branding, but there's not actually any kind of connections uh, going on. Uh, but these are starting to emerge. Um, and we're going to go through that phase again, where you need to improve the security and improve decentralization. But this is already starting. When I say, you know, a real cross-chain lending platform or something like that, it means like, let me take Ethereum on Ethereum, stake that as collateral on Ethereum, and use it to directly borrow AVAX on Avalanche, for mm -hmm. example. Um, so right now, that's still quite difficult. Usually what they'll do is they'll port all the assets onto one chain, and then you can interact with all mm -hmm. the assets. But it's not true kind of crossing interaction. Um, whether or not this type of product is for the public good <laughs> is is debatable. I think there's there's other things that interoperability will will unlock that's kind of more in the the realm of the real world. Um, I think one thing that I like to 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 talk about is you know supply chains. I think that's one of the um, kind of earliest examples that people came up with when they're talking about what can blockchain do and what can blockchain really improve. And so it's no surprise that that's kind of one of the use cases that are furthest along. So with something like interoperability, you can really kind of have selective transparency. Um, so interoperability between private and public networks. So in more kind of concrete words, <laughs> what this means is that you can have like one chain, which is the true supply chain blockchain that records all the data related to the supply chain. And this can be a totally permissioned network that has strict membership. Only the people who are doing or who are involved in the, in the supply chain are there. Then you can have a second chain and we can call this one like a regulatory blockchain. So, you know, you're in the real world now. So obviously you have all sorts of government regulations you have to comply with, but you don't necessarily want to just surface all your info and give it all over to mm -hmm. the governments of the world. You know, you're just going to give the minimum requirement to, to be compliant. And so interoperability will allow that to happen. You know, you only actually record the required data on the regulatory chain. And then similarly, you can have a third chain involved which is for customers and users, where they are receiving only the information that can allow them to, you know, track the, um, you know, the origin of the asset that they're buying. And so, with you know, blockchain interoperability, this is the type of use cases that we we will eventually unlock, where all this will be automated. The specific type of information that is on the um, supply chain blockchain will just get recorded onto these other networks for the people who need to see them. And then you have kind of a far richer, more efficient uh, system. Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's that's actually really interesting because you know, according to recent you know uh, report uh, analysis in 2022, the DeFi protocols are by far the biggest victims of crypto hacks, right? And so mm -hmm. the DeFi protocols as victims, you know, like accounted for 82 percent of all cryptocurrencies stolen uh, by hackers, right? So we're talking about like more than three billion dollars. Uh, and 64% came from cross-chain bridge protocols specifically, right? Mm -hmm. So with the, you know, provenance, with the proliferation of these technologies, right? How can we achieve interoperability without compromising security? Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question. Um, <clears throat> and it's often, you know, a tricky one to 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 talk about, but we'll make it as simple as possible and really just say that, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's like when you deal with anything that's sensitive, anything that deals with anyone's, you know, funds or assets is that you just have to place security first. You always put it first through development. And then, you know, you do strong R&D, you emphasize, you know, tested standards that you've developed with, you know, other people in the industry, you test it rigorously, uh, rigorously, and then 
you know, you roll it out to the public, but you never kind of sacrifice security for rapid growth or anything like that. Because I think what we've seen with a lot of these cross-chain bridges, especially those that have gotten hacked, um, is that the thing that caused them to get hacked is hacked is not exclusive to cross-chain technology, to blockchain interoperability. It's stuff like human error or um, smart contract issues. And these are all things that we already know how to do better. You know, the things that they get exploited on, it's not like some big hole got uncovered that we've never thought about or that we even don't know how to fix. These are really just execution problems. Um, so with a little more kind of rigorous development and holding yourself to a high standard, it's really not an issue to have both interoperability and security. They're not kind of in conflict. Um, for the end users, it's a little trickier, of course, because, you know, there's so much uh, marketing out there and, and it's really kind of difficult to be able to tell one one bridge from the other. Um, so with a lot of these things, it's like education is really important. Um, but that would fall on deaf ears to those who, you know, have lost their funds because of the, these types of hacks. Um, but ultimately, I think we just as an industry need to hold ourselves to, to better standards. Um, we want to be a decentralized network. We want to, you know, not be totally controlled by, by, you know, cent centralized authorities and strict regulations. And so the onus is on, on us, the developers, the projects, you know, to build these things responsibly because, if you do it poorly, there can be danger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's true. Now, um, one of the most profitable sectors in the industry is gaming, right? And it has uh, exploded in popularity with market size expected you know, to reach like $435 billion by 2028. I mean, we participated in a lot of deals and, you know, there's an, enough like cutting edge technology in this particular sector, right? That are craving for, you know, for interoperability as well. So how can we, how can blockchain technology help bridge the gap between this siloed gaming experiences and ecosystems and enable a persistent digital identity across project? Yeah, I think there's, there's kind of two parts to that question. For one, the gaming side, I think is really interesting because traditionally gaming's kind of been uh, anti-interoperability in a way, if you're talking about like traditional gaming, you know, I mean, I was a, I played my fair share of video games growing up and it's, you know, exclusive hardware that plays exclusive games and you're just kind of keep keeping everyone into your own walled garden. And then that's kind of how the industry grew. And, you know, yeah. it created a lot of these kind of like all, a lot of the tribalism, you know, that we sometimes see in blockchain as well, or like, oh, my chain's better than your chain. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of this in, in, in gaming as well. So I think right now, at least in gaming, uh, the inter interoperability is kind of going to be a case by case basis. Um, certainly I think that it has the potential to, to add value to certain types of games, especially those that, you know, really want to make use of NFTs. Um, I know I've seen a few experiments that are pretty cool, um, where, you know, there could be, you know, what, what one item that is, you know, using multiple different games and, you know, you, the, the developers actually start with creating the item itself. So the items made before the game, then you have, you know, ownership of that NFT, that item, and then you can use it in multiple places. I know there's kind of one uh, ecosystem called Zoo Ecosystem in particular that I keep an eye on um, because, you know, they really have this really great integration between NFTs and, and a variety of different games uh, in their pipeline. Um, but I think what this really hints at is that second part of the question that you mentioned, which is this persistent digital identity. I think that in that case, the, the need for interoperability is far more obvious uh, because you... I don't think anyone really wants a digital identity that's controlled by like a single centralized uh, 
authority or, 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 or yeah, centralized authority. Um, and you also don't want it to be limited to a single chain because that really kind of limits the real world applications, both in and out of gaming. Um, I think, you know, you might see eventually things like even your, your like certificates and diplomas and copyright and licenses and these things can be, um, turned into NFTs, but it's somewhat useless if it's, you know, only on Ethereum, <laughs> you know, you need, you really need that to kind of be exist, uh, to exist and be persistent mm -hmm. across all chains for it to have any type of value. So in that sense, the digital identity stuff, I think is very interesting and, and it's going to be a big, big part of, of blockchain interoperability moving forward. 100%. Yeah, that's well, before we jump into uh, more questions, because I obviously want to ask you more, like, uh, we want to open up the floor to, uh, to our community, right, you know, to more questions, you know, from the people. So uh, I'll just pick uh, several, and then we'll go from there. Right. So uh, we have uh, Sora Lost from YouTube uh, is asking, do you see the future of interconnected blockchains decentralized or centralized? Will agents or corporations be securing this uh, interoperation? Uh, otherwise, how would it be secured? Sure. Uh, well, thanks for the question. Uh, I think that's great. I think it's good to be thinking about these issues. My personal opinion is that it's going to be both. Uh, interoperability doesn't have to be only public to public. Um, it can be uh, oftentimes between private and public and even private and private. You see this a lot in um, enterprise use cases where, you know, the, the firm itself is not going to be totally into the idea of just exposing all of their, <laughs> their data to, to the world. And so, you know, things like interoperability combined with uh, zero knowledge, um, I think is going to be a big, big part of this moving forward. And then for better or for worse, um, the, the rise of CBDCs, those, uh, you know, government issued, um, digital currencies, you know, these, have to be interoperable. Um, there's no choice. You know, this is not going to be, yeah. you know, China's, uh, digital renminbi. You know, the U.S. is not using that chain <laughs> and, 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 yeah, vi yeah. and vice versa. So interoperability <laughs> has to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you, you saw that Japan actually announced, uh, and Russia both, uh, announced, announced that they're actually going to officially digitize like Japan in April. Mm -hmm. uh, very two different use cases, by the way. Japan is more of a, you know digitizing and kind of modernizing. Where for Russia, it's actually inevitable choice, right? Because you know a lot of them are you know going to be potentially turned off from the wire transfer system, right? You know, mm -hmm. so that's uh, so then two different, you know. And you're right, you know. So we we have to build something more interoperable mm -hmm. now. But it's interesting, like, you know, the, the next level question. So Mehmet uh, uh, from LinkedIn is asking, what is the real aim of external interoperability? Is it realistic to expect a blockchain that everyone will be part of? How possible is that in your opinion? Okay, I'm going to slightly guess at the meaning of external interoperability uh, based on the rest of the question. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't think it's very realistic to expect that everyone is going to use a single blockchain. So that's kind of why we need interoperability to begin with, because mm -hmm. there's going to be different blockchains that service, um, you know, that make different trade-offs in their design to serve different types of needs. And you still kind of want it to all operate as one kind of like wide area network of blockchains or one meta network. 
Um, so I think that's far, far more likely. And it also gives you a little more uh, flexibility in terms of devi uh, devising actual use cases. Um, for instance, like I've mentioned a few times now, the the kind of combination of of permissioned and permissionless networks and still having those being interoperable. Um, you know, things like this are simply not possible if you're trying to get everyone on one single uh, blockchain. And that's like even ignoring scalability issues and performance issues and things like that. Um, I think this is kind yeah. of why, you know, I, I, I say, you know, even at the start that it's, that it's not only crucial to have interoperability, but it really is kind of inevitable if we are going to have any type of blockchain adoption. Correct. Correct. Which is a great point. Um, Code Law uh, from Twitter is asking, does the current technology allow true interoperability uh, or are many engineering updates still necessary to achieve interconnection? Great question. Um, <clears throat> the sobering truth is that today's current technology, no, is not, an, is not enough for, for so-called true interoperability. Um, mm -hmm. Like I uh, started off in my, my early, early rant, is that, you know, as an industry, it's still kind of earlier than I think most people uh, think and realize. Um, conceptually, we're all kind of on the same page, all the different, uh, you know, stakeholders who are working in interoperability. But in terms of what the challenges are that remain and, and then obviously how to solve those challenges, you know, this is still tech that's in development. Um, it's constant progress. So there's a lot of optimism um, that, that it's going to happen. Uh, but as of today, no, the technology itself as a whole is not yet ready. So let's talk about this. So Captain Hoddle is actually asking about that also. What are the real fundamental challenges with blockchain interoperability and how do developers currently battle these problems? Let's identify maybe top three really briefly. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so one major issue is that um, there's not a common language between all the different blockchains um and at some point there will be um to be able mm -hmm. to pass me messages from from one one chain to the other this is kind of the blockchain equivalent of like uh tcp ip uh for for the internet world so we don't have the tcp ip of blockchain yet once that happens um you know that'll give us a huge leap forward to being able to to pass messages from from one blockchain to the other, because at least everyone now knows what language to speak to one another on the networks. Um, this, of course, is like a probably one of the biggest challenges right now, because you do have some projects who are and have been doing great work, um, like basically just deciding what this messaging standard is going to be, or they're just going to choose one and use it, like things like Cosmos and IBC. Um, the, in the Polkadot ecosystem, they use XCM. So that's the kind of issue that they're trying to solve with those type of common messaging uh, platforms or, or languages rather. Um, the issue being whether or not you believe that it's realistic that, for example, once we bring in governments and enterprises that they're going to just, you know, use one of uh, the existing languages or if they're going to, you know, force everyone's hand and, and you know, dictate what the, what the, what the messaging standard is going to be. And mm -hmm. probably invent it themselves, you know, like with back to the internet world with TCP IP, you know, that was made by DARPA. So, you know, e even if you had the most optimistic startup back then building it, you know, once the US government decides they're getting in on blockchain and they say, this is the messaging standard from now on, uh, probably everyone's going to, you know, pivot to, to that. So that's kind of one major challenge that is still, um, ongoing. 
the other kind of uh or second major challenge is that a lot of this stuff um is still based in the world of web 2 so even though you we are operating on these decentralized networks a lot of these pieces um you know are still somewhat centralized you know all the kind of web interfaces are, are centralized mm-hmm. um even the kind of oracle layers if you know if we don't want to go as far as to saying um centralized they a lot of it happens off chain um and so this is also things that are starting to change you know i think in a lot of ways bridges and oracles they're kind of converging um in terms of what they actually are and the services that they do you know bridges started with with tokens and coins and oracle started with data but it really was about how do we you know get this stuff from one chain and put it on another chain or from off chain and put it on chain but now as like kind of like the scope of interoperability maybe expands in a way you know there's overlap that venn diagram you know is, is getting getting closer and closer so like bridges and oracles themselves probably sooner rather than later become a singular uh singular entity so that's also kind of another major um you know let's say technical hurdle that that is still being solved now i have a we have one practical question also like moxie uh, from youtube is asking when should i expect my current avatar maybe in decentraland to also work in the sandbox are these companies and other willing to accept and support interoperability how would they benefit yeah um yeah, so we're entering the realm of business decisions at some point. So um, there is an element of that that is up to you know the different platforms. You know that is not a technical issue as of today. That is a issue that is solved. Um, if the platforms wanted to take a NFT based avatar from one chain and from another platform, for example, even one chain's own bridges can can already do this take that nft from one chain bring it to another chain and then it is now technically possible for someone on the second chain to use that nft the kind of missing link though is the kind of business decision what is the advantage to these two platforms from using another platform's uh avatar personally i think that's kind of the a poor way to think about it short-sighted uh as with the things we just talked about with having kind of one persistent identity that makes it very very powerful but so long as that avatar was issued by you know one of these uh platforms it kind of creates a disincentive um for another platform to to kind of promote a competitor whereas you know in that kind of gaming example where if somehow we could get to the point where we start with the nft the either the item or the avatar and these are already kind of belonging to the person and not connected to an individual platform then i think we have a far easier a far more realistic path to really have different uh platforms and different chains use that avatar nft in their own systems mm-hmm. but technically no real issue right now it's really just the business side <laughs> right correct right. so more about politics i get it yes <laughs> um, um yeah let's be very direct about it uh Ulsan from youtube is asking what is your idea about blockchains providing economic incentives so people and creators benefit from participating in an interpretable blockchain yeah um good question i have mixed feelings um <laughs> on the one hand yes on the one hand um you need some sort of incentive to get people to expend whatever resource they have to expend to support the blockchain whether that means you know computing power your electric bill no there is a cost associated mm-hmm. with decentralization 
Um, it's spread across a lot of people, but it's not, uh, not free. In some ways, I feel it's unfortunate that the solution that we all, almost all, uh, have landed on is, well, we could pay people to do it. <laughs> and then we do that with, with, with a coin. Whereas, you know, in my imaginary, uh, dream world, we could find some, you know, non-economic incentive, um, to, to support these decentralized networks. Realistically, we've, gone too far. <laughs> it's going to be this uh, for the considerable future. And now we just have to navigate a lot of the muddy waters related to, um, you know, regulations and, and things like that. You know, as soon as as soon as an economic incentive was at the really the, the most profound layer of, of blockchain, it was inevitable that, you know, governments and and such would would, would come in and, and interfere um, and enterprises for that matter. Um, but you know, that ship has sailed, uh, that ship has sailed. Um, it is, it is what it is now. Um, and even though I have mixed feelings, it's effective, you know, we have achieved decentralized networks and that's a great thing. <laughs> I love your political correctness. <laughs> I love but it's okay. I, I, I totally understand that. Um, so Nakamoto-san uh, from YouTube is asking, what is the most challenging domain of interoperability compared to others? And what makes that the hardest? Well, well the, the hardest is the end goal. And that's being able to call, like, basically call a smart contract on one chain from another chain without you know, any type of uh, you know, centralized components. So that's kind of what we're all aiming for, the, the holy grail of interoperability right now. And so obviously that is, that is the most difficult part. Um, really, there's not, there's not one big blocker. The reason why it's the most difficult part is because that there's like nine different things that need to be solved, you know, before that will actually be, be possible. Things like the, the messaging stuff we just talked about. Um, that, that's a huge one. There's also something that we like to call the relayer. And that's essentially, you know, just the group of, of nodes that you know are actually transporting um you know the messages of the data from one chain to the, to another you know that's also something that will have to be cleaned up um so there's just kind of big big tasks to make that possible so that's the that's the hardest part but that's also the most powerful once once we achieve it you know once once you can actually do that uh in a convincing way you know then then it's all systems go um blockchain adoption here we come everyone everyone's on board so so let's let's maybe conclude with so the last question i think it's a very pertinent and good question so entertainment tv from youtube is asking are are there any companies or projects that manage to achieve a true inter internal interoperability what did they do right and what can be done sorry did you say internal interoperability yeah, I think what they mean that actually they integrated and like somewhat of elements of interoperability and like people can swap or do anything with their assets, right? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so there's definitely really good projects out there. Um, you know, OneChain's obviously really good at this. Polkadot's really good at this. Cosmos is really good at this. But um, there's not one who has, you know, solved the problem that no one else has solved yet. Um even, even, you know, a lot of this stuff happens still on Ethereum. So Ethereum is kind of very, very, you know, in cutting edge in terms of interoperability as well. Um, but there's th those, you know, it's, it's the popular players actually who are, who are really 
really at the forefront uh, of interoperability. But like we've been talking about today, you know, it's not been 100% achieved by anyone yet. And a lot of these things past the conceptual, they're still mostly in, in kind of experimental phases. So things like, um, you know, Polkadot and their XCM, very cool, but it has also very clear limitations in terms of what it can do. So for example, Polkadot has pretty powerful interoperability so long as you're part of Polkadot. But, you know, no matter what, yeah. there's going to be outside of Polkadot stuff. So even that's the stuff, you know, that we're still working on. That's actually the part of the system that, um, you know, Wanchain specifically focuses on, whereas we're trying to bridge, you know, very, very different types of networks. So, you know, make, you know, XRPL, talk to Wanchain, talk to Polkadot, talk to um, Cardano, all different layer, like uh, all different languages, all different types yeah. of consensus and so, like, even if you're doing really cool stuff in Polkadot or Cosmos, where within your own system, it's super cool, you know, it didn't actually address the the, the problem. So it's hard to say that, like, oh, you've solved it. It's more like you've you slightly expanded the, the wild garden, which is cool in its own in its own way. And there's learnings uh, to be had. But um, but that's kind of where we where we are at. Got it. So we're pretty early still, right? Uh, but yeah, we heard about your partnership with Alstar, right? I know that you will see the USDT and Xflow service uh, that mm -hmm. that will be on Polkadot, right? And it is challenging to mm -hmm. to merge basically parrot chains within, like even with EVM chains. That's 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 number one. And now I've been talking about more exotic chains, like as you mentioned, Cardano, mm -hmm. Tezos, and others, right? So. Totally yeah. get it. And exciting that you guys are doing. Really, really appreciate you know, your knowledge and your wisdom. Um, thank you for everyone uh, joining to Bullcaster today, you know, and we're going to see you uh, around two weeks. Exactly. Right. You know, so at 4, 4 p.m. UTC <laughs> and uh, 1 p.m. EST live on YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, all different types of platforms where we go live. And hopefully we will see more, more, um, more news from uh, one chain, right? You know, and uh, we'll definitely look into partner with you guys and uh, looking forward for your success. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for having me here. It was uh, it was great to talk about this type of stuff. So bring me back anytime. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Thank Cheers. you. Stay tuned with Bullcaster, a talk show for all crypto bulls.